So with that said, let's, uh, let's all turn in our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4. We're going to be covering verses 1 to 12 uh, this morning. I titled this morning's message, Justified by Faith Alone. Don't you like that title? Here's the thing. It, 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 for those of us that understand that title, Justified by Faith Alone, it's more than just words. It's more than just a, a, a title. It's actually a reality to you as a Christian that you have been made right in the eyes of God by faith alone. And so let's, uh, let's pray. Let's open in prayer and pray that God would bless this time in His Word. Father, we lift up this time. Lord, we thank You for these truths that You have given to us. Lord, that we can know in our hearts, Lord, that one, that You've saved us, and and number two, that it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with what You have done for us. And Lord, I pray that You would ground us in these truths. That we would be assured of them. And Lord, that You would uh, even give us opportunity to go out and proclaim this Gospel. Lord, because it's what gives life to people. And Lord, I pray that You would pour out Your Spirit upon each one of us this morning. Fill us to overflowing. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, uh, in this letter so far, has already brought us to a number of conclusions we, uh, if you want to look back at, at chapter 3, verse 9, Paul wrote this. He says, what then, asking a question, are we better than they, speaking about uh, the Jews? Not at all, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. That was a conclusion that Everything that Paul set up to that, he was coming to that conclusion that Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. In chapter 3, verse 19, it says, here's another conclusion that Paul brought us to. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the world may become guilty before God. The whole world stands guilty before a righteous God. No one will ever escape. No one will ever be able to say, well, I'm not going there. We will all, in this whole world, will stand before a righteous God. Last week in chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, we were brought to another conclusion by Paul. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, where is boasting then? Now, when somebody boasts about something, it's really a way of speaking with pride. It's prideful speaking. And it's usually directed at speaking about yourself. It's boasting about ourselves. Paul says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of work? 
of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, that is a truth that we need to grab hold of. We need to know what God's Word says. It, makes, it has every bearing on what, how, you view, how you view your salvation. I've been defining a lot of words as we've been going through uh, Romans here. Some of the big theological words that maybe we often take for granted. And the word that we're looking at right now in chapter 4, actually going all the way into chapter, end of chapter 5, is this word justification. Now justification in the theological term, if, we, if I could put it at that first, it's defined as an act of God whereby humankind is made or accounted just or free from guilt or penalty of sin. So if you've given your life to Christ, then you've been justified. If you've done it the right way. You've been made right in the eyes of God by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The simple way that some people have explained justification is this way. Just as if I have never sinned. And that, you know, that's a truth. That's a truth. But I will say that it's actually more than that. One commentator explained it this way. He says, justification is more than having a clean but empty ledger sheet. God also credits us with the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's the part that's missing in that. That God actually credits our account. We all have bank accounts, most of us. But He credits that account, if we could put it that way, with His righteousness. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's an act of God. That's something He does apart from yourself. This happens the same way Jesus was made to be sin. By transfer it happens. Just as God charged our sin to Christ, meaning God the Father charging our sin to Christ, so He credits the perfect obedience of Jesus to all who trust in Him. In what is often called the great exchange, God exchanges our sin for Christ's righteousness. As a result, all who have trusted in Christ as Savior, they stand before God not with clean but empty ledger, but one filled with the very righteousness of Christ. Isn't that incredible? That when God the Father sees you as a child of God standing before that judgment seat, He sees the righteousness of His Son in you. It's why we will be able to stand before Him and, not, and, and, and be able to live because of the righteousness, Jesus Christ the righteous. Charles Spurgeon described this justification as the beautiful exchange. He says it's like this. You poor sinner, take my garment and put it on. 
You shall stand before God as if you were Christ, and I will stand before God as if I had been the sinner. That's Jesus on your behalf. I will suffer in the sinner's stead, and you shall be rewarded for works that you did not do, but which I did for you. Do you see, everything about justification has everything to do with what God has done for you. Not what you've done for God, not what He owes you because you've lived this kind of good life or done good deeds or acts of kind or whatever you would put on that list. It's all what He has done for you. Today I'm going to talk about the difference between justification by faith and justification by works. One of these is a work of God and the other one is a work of the flesh. Uh, If I were, I'm going to make a real bold statement. Most of us know this, but maybe some of us don't. All religions, every religion in the world, all religions of all time. As a matter of fact, I looked up how many there are currently estimated. You know how many that there might be in the world? 4,300 religions. 4,300 religions claim to have the way. The right way. With the exception of historic Christianity, which is what we believe, uh, all other religions, all these other, uh, you know, 4,300 other religions in the world, they all have a works foundation. All of them. They either completely are based upon a works foundation, or some of them, a little bit more subtle, it's faith plus works. When they say, well, we believe we're saved by works, but it's faith also. And so they put the plus in there. It's faith plus works. Historic Christianity does not teach that. It doesn't teach that a person is saved by faith plus works. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we're saved. True Christianity apart from all of those other 4,300 religions, stands on that truth. Why do you think that it is that the enemy wants all of these other religions to add something to it? Because it takes away from this gospel message of a person being able to be made right in the eyes of God by faith alone in what he has done for us, not what we can do for God. In Genesis chapter 12, going all the way back to the first book of the Bible, it speaks about Abraham. Abraham is referred to as the father of faith. And he was given promises. God gave Abraham these promises, and these promises that were given, Abraham by faith believed God for them. He just... God said it. 
And, and because God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. That's just, that's, that is faith, by the way. You see, when you stand upon the truths of God's Word, you're exercising faith. You're saying God has said it in His Word. And I believe it. That settles it. It's not a question mark in my mind. It's not when somebody comes to me and says that, yeah, but it's faith plus work. But that's not what God's Word says. We need to be assured of what we believe as Christians. And it needs to be real faith. It needs to be real faith to be real salvation. There are many that are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in Your name? Cast out demons in this way? Do these wonderful works in Your name? And the Lord's response is, depart from Me, for I never knew You. I never knew You. What an eye-opening day. Many will say. We've all been hearing a lot lately about fake news. I'm getting tired of it. Fake news. But I want to say that there's also fake faith. There's fake faith. There's a lot of people that profess to know God, but they really don't. They say they are. They belong to a religion. They belong to a group. But they really don't have saving faith or real faith. If you look to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, without faith, it's impossible. I want you to wrap your head around that word. It's impossible to please God. Without faith, It's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, or that God exists, we could say, and that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is the means, the vehicle for mankind to be able to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And without it, it's impossible to. To please God. The question is, do we have real faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and we're told that he went out, not knowing where he was going. That was when God called Abraham to leave his home, and to go out into a place that he didn't know. And by faith we're told that Abraham, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's Abraham, the father of faith. In Hebrews 11.17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up his son Isaac, and who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. 
And here's what Abraham did. He concluded that God was able to raise up his son from the dead, from whom he also had received him in a figurative sense. Abraham, the father of faith, his faith was tested on that day when God called him to take his son Isaac and take him up to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his son. If God is going to call me to sacrifice the promised child that he promised to me, the one that I put my faith and trust in, then I believe that God will raise my son from the dead. That was the kind of faith that Abraham had and that he held to. It was real faith. It was tested faith. And as a matter of fact, real faith, if it's never tested, if your faith is real and it's never tested, you probably should question whether or not it's real. Because God will allow your faith to get tested. And it'll show you, not God, of what sort it is. What sort is your faith? Is it real faith or is it dead faith? Is it something that you're hoping that is going to happen in the by and by? Or is it really with confidence you're expecting and you're waiting for that to come to pass? We come now to chapter 4 where Paul is now going to defend his words that he spoke in chapter 3. We could break down the chapter this way. Abraham was justified by faith. Verses 1-5. to King David was justified by faith, verses 6 to 8. Abraham was justified by faith apart from any ordinance, verses 9 to 12. Abraham, before the law, was justified by faith, verses 13 to 18. Abraham, and lastly, was justified by faith in the resurrection, verses 19 to 25. We're not going to cover that whole chapter today. We're just going to do the first 12 verses. The New Testament, it opens in verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew 1.1 says, it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then it says this, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Those two figures. That the Messiah would come through. Uh, This genealogy ends in verse 17. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to King David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ, until the Christ came, are 14 generations. Abraham and David were the two patriarchs that Israel held in the highest of esteem. They they were ones that the Apostle knew that in this topic of justification by faith, they would be two people that would be perfect to support what he's saying. 
Paul was a Jew himself, but he also knew how a Jew thought. He knew his thinking. He knew that what he said in chapter 3 of Romans for some Jews would be hard to take in. It would be hard for them to wrap their head around what the Apostle Paul was saying. They were ingrained in this whole covenant of circumcision. They believed that even the faith of Abraham had to do with his obedience, a form of work. And so in the mindset of a Jew, they were wrapped around works. They were wrapped around the keeping of the law and the circumcision of the flesh. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, we read this. Speaking of Abraham, he says, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will give to your descendants all these lands. He says, I'm going to give you the, the, the descendants and I'm going to give you the land. And in your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because, and then it says this, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statues, and my laws. You see, every Jew that read his Bible that read these Scriptures here, that looked to the father of faith, Abraham, they based everything on the fact that Abraham obeyed the voice of God. And you see, there are people today, the Jews do it, but there are all these other religions. It's faith plus works. In their minds. Paul is making a case here in Romans chapter 4 that the only way that you will ever get right in the eyes of God is by faith alone. It's apart from anything you can do for God. Paul is going to use the logical reasoning to bring this out. He's also going to use a scriptural basis to prove his point. Look at your Bibles at chapter 4, verse 1. This is Abraham being justified by faith, verses 1 to 5. He says, Paul writes, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? He's asking a question there, isn't he? What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. There's that boasting that I started out on then he has something to boast about. But what does it say after that? But not before God. But Abraham, you can't boast before God. That's the, this is the logical way that Paul is trying to drive a point home. Now the scriptural argument. For what does the scripture say? And now Paul quotes from what? Genesis 15, 15, 6. What's it say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Nothing is said in there about any of Abraham's works. It's simply that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
He was made right in the eyes of God by his belief in God. His faith in God. His faith in the promise that God had given to him. That's justification by faith. But that's in the Old Testament. We're in the New. Justification by faith has always been God's means and ways to bring a person into a right relationship with him. Remember, the law was only given to show man that they couldn't do it. But it's always been by faith. In this fourth chapter, Paul is still answering the question about boasting back in chapter 3, verse 27, where it said, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. He's making a point. But the Jews were still struggling as they read these words. It still would have been a struggle in their mind. Because in their mind, it was both. Paul knew that if he couldn't prove to his fellow Jew in this letter, in chapter 4, that Abraham was justified apart from works, then his statement in 327, it wasn't true. He needed to prove this. Paul is saying here that a man may boast before another man, but he'll never be able to boast before God. Not even faithful Abraham. That's what he's saying to the Jew. Not even faithful Abraham will be able to boast before God. That sets something off in a Jew's mind. We're talking about one of our patriarchs. uh, uh, One that put his son on the altar in obedience to God. And, And Paul knew that he needed to use Abraham as an example of somebody that was justified by faith alone apart from works. If I go out witnessing, or if you go out witnessing, or you share your faith with somebody, and you ask them the question of how do they know where they're going when they die, and they start boasting to you, they start saying, well, you know, hey, well, we've been pretty good. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I try to help people. I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I've always been a good churchgoer. I, you know, I, I do that. I do that. And they start boasting. What comes into your mind? I'll tell you what comes into my mind when somebody starts boasting about why they will be able to stand before God. And it has nothing to do with just their simple faith in Jesus Christ. It has to do with what they've done for Him. It makes me start wondering, do they have real faith? Is this real faith? Do they really know Him? Have you ever had that coming around? They just went in while I was baptized. Yeah, But I go to... But no, do you really have real faith? Do you really know Him? And there is a difference. And there are going to be many that are going to say, Lord, Lord. The person who knows that it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ 
will never boast. That person will never boast. You ask me, how do I know I'm saying, Jesus, what he did for me, he forgave me. Of all, I'm a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God. There's nothing I can do that could ever earn going to heaven. I, you know, he did it all for me. I just simply believed in him, the cross and the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he gave me eternal life. That's what I want to hear. Real faith. Somebody that has placed their, their faith and their confidence in Christ alone. There's no other name given under heaven by where men must be saved. Acts 4.12. That name is Jesus Christ. We're told in verse 2 that Abraham believed God. Many people today and throughout history have said, I believe in God. You may have said that before you were saved. Before you ever came into a relationship. Well, I believe in God. You know the demons believe too? Demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. James dealt with this. He says, you, you believe that there's one God, you're doing well. Even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. They're not saved. Are demons saved? Is Satan saved? What's the difference? It's not an intellectual thing. It's not something that's up here. You see, believing is not just believing in a set of facts. The historical Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. Somebody can believe in those facts and still not be saved. The question is, who is Jesus to you? How important was Jesus' death, his resurrection to your salvation? What part? If my attendance and my giving and my good deeds had any part, then it takes away from the only part. His death, burial, and resurrection is the only reason why I will live. I like to say that there's some people that are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Can you imagine that? Getting 18 inches to the gates of heaven and you can't go in, if I could put it that way. And you say, well, what's the 18 inches? The 18 inches, Shane could verify this. They say that it's about 18 inches from your brain to your heart. Because there are some people that have it up here between the ears, the facts. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus, historical Jesus. But it's never come to the heart. It's never been a faith that has come from, and, and come from my heart. The heart is the center of your being. It's everything that makes you up as a human being. Your emotion, your intellect, your will, it's what makes you up. Everything within me says that Jesus Christ is my only hope of salvation. That's true faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your what? Your heart. That God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, 
One believes unto righteousness. There it is. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Very simple. Very clear in Scripture. Then why does it get confusing? Why the 4,300 cults and religions in the world? Because man wants to make his own way to God. Man doesn't want to go by way of the cross. Man wants to live in his sin and do those things, but still say, I believe in God, and I'm... it doesn't work that way. Verse 3 says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Simply put, he's quoting Old Testament to the Jew. They're sitting up and they're taking notice right at the moment. This word accounted, the Greek word could also be translated to conclude something, to impute, to reckon. It's an accounting term. And it means to somebody sitting down and calculating something. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This word is actually used 11 times just in this chapter, chapter 4 of Romans. The word is really a reality. If you understand it, it's, this word reckon would be like you taking your checkbook and it says that it has $25 in it, and then you do all your calculations, to, and it comes up saying you do have $25 in it. And you just reckoned it. You just determined that what was there was $25. We saw in Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude. It's the same word, reckon. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. We've, con- we've come to that conclusion. We've reckoned it. We've concluded that. In Romans 4.3, it says, What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted, there's the word again, as grace, but as debt. Verse 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, there it is, for righteousness. Verse 6, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, there it is again, imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You see, our sin was imputed to Christ. When He hung on the cross, all of your sin and my sin was placed upon Him. We could say that our sin was imputed to Him. Verse 9, does this blessedness about what were this justification that we're talking about, then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith 
was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Paul is making a case here. He's going to use Abraham as that means and ways to prove and to make his point. When Paul quoted from Genesis 15.6, he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then it says in verse 4, now to him who works, to him who believes, and to him who works. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted, there's that word again, as grace, but as debt. If you think it's by works that you're saved, then you think that it's something that somebody owes you. The person that tries to do things for God, do acts of kindness, do these whatever, whatever kinds of good acts or deeds that they do, if they are thinking that that's what God wants, then in their mind they're saying, God owes me for it. God will never be indebted to anyone. And he's not going to be indebted to anyone for their salvation. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you know that salvation is a gift, And I hope that every one of us here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you know that it's a gift. Gifts are things that we typically don't earn. We typically don't earn a gift. It's simply given out of love towards the one you're giving it to. But if you go and you work a week for your employer, and you put in your 40 hours, When you go to that bank account on payday, you expect that there's going to be money in that account. You owe it to me. I worked these 40 hours. You owe me. You're indebted to me because I put in the 40 hours you owe me. People approach God that way. I did this for you. You know how many things I've, I've committed my whole life. I've been a missionary. I've been a Sunday school. I've done all God, you owe me. Genesis 15, 1-6 says, The Lord came to Abraham, or Abram, in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? and of the heir of my house as Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he said to him and brought him outside and he he said, look, Abram, look up into the heaven and count the stars, Abram. If you are able to number them, 
and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Abram at one point, he couldn't wrap his head around the idea that he could be having a child at his age or that Sarah could have a child at her age. It was impossible. And he started thinking in the fleshly way how this could come about. And God said, it's not going to be that way. I want you to go outside. I want you to look up into that. Look at the stars. And it's going to be from your body, Abram, that this promised child is going to come. And then we read in Abraham, and we're told, after God had said that to him, after he looked up into the sky, it says that Abram, Abraham believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That's, that's all I read here. He just simply believed. But it says that it, he accounted it to him for righteousness. Right standing before God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. We've already gone over these words. If you took notes on those big words that I told you to write down, you'll know what it's saying. We have this redemption. It's found in Jesus Christ. It was His precious blood that was the the redemptive price for your sin. He's our propitiation, our covering. It was by His blood. A one-time gift. A one-time act. No more going behind the veil. And it was through faith. To demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at this present time His righteousness and that He might be just. God is just. He is also the justifier and the one who has faith in Jesus. You see... The person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save, he says, I have all the right. I'm just. And I'm also the justifier. And I can declare you righteous in God's eyes because you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Incredible. That's our salvation. I'm seeing a few smiles on the faces. This should bring a smile to our face. This is exciting. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's justification by faith, simply put. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, this book of Galatians is a book of freedom. It's it's a book of liberty. It speaks about our liberty in Christ. It's a book about justification by faith. Galatians 2.16 says this, 
knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Whole nother book. Book of Galatians. Book of Freedom. Book of Liberty. Book on justification by faith. Writing to the Jews that had their heads all mixed up with all this. Paul having to make it a point. He says to the Jews in chapter 3 of Galatians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Paul says, I want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Tell me. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Do you know that Christians do that? We start out in faith and then we still try to please God by our efforts. We somehow think that God is falling more in love with me because I'm doing more for Him. I'm giving more money. I'm serving more. I'm helping more. God is pleased with our works. Don't get me wrong. He loves it when we do works. But when it's done out of real faith, God says, I accept it. I love it. I love those good works. It's not adding to your salvation, but I love it. It's what you should do. It declares your real faith. Galatians 3.14, it says that the blessing of Abraham, he's talking about Abraham here too, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 18, 3.18, for if the inheritances of the law our inheritance in heaven. If it's of the law, then it's no longer a promise, Paul says. If it comes by way of works in the law, then it's no longer a promise from God. That's what he's saying here. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. He's driving a point home. Galatians 4.22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, The one by a bondwoman, Hagar, and the other by a free woman, Sarai, or Sarah. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your salvation, is it of the bondwoman? Or is your salvation of the free woman? Is it of the law? Or is it of the promise? Is it of the works of the law? Or is it of the hearing of faith? You see, that's the conclusion that Paul is bringing this to. Where does your faith lie? What is it in? If you want to be of the bondwoman, then you're bound up into legalism and effort. And that's a very frustrating religious life. If you're of the free woman and you've been set free from the bondage of sin by your faith in 
trust in Jesus Christ, he, he justified you and made you right. And you have freedom and liberty in Christ. Then you're walking around on cloud nine going, praise the Lord. It's not me. It's all what he did for me. I belong to the free woman. The promise. It's by faith. Before I look at James, most of us know this scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Do you know that scripture? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not that of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should what? Boast. Right? But sometimes people get, they stop right there. And you shouldn't stop there. Because verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and then it says this, unto good works. What's the balance in all this? Are you saying that I can be saved by faith and I don't have to do a thing? I can, matter of fact, go out and just do whatever I want? No. Because there are those that profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him. It tells us in the book of Titus. So it's not just enough to say that I have faith, but no works ever come forth out of my life because that's what proves real faith. When Abraham put his son up on that altar on Mount Moriah there, it was testing his faith to see if it was real. And when Abraham did that, it proved to himself, it proved to all of us that read about him and his faith that it was real. Paul also uses King David, another one of the great patriarchs of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, according to 1 Samuel 13.14 and Acts 13.22. A man after God's own heart. King David. Paul sees David as another one that of these patriarchs in the, in the Jew's mind that he could use to prove his point. And he uses King David as another example. First it's Abraham, then it's King David. Abraham was justified before the law. Did you know that? That it was actually 430 years later that the law would be given to Moses. That the promise was given 430 years earlier to Abraham. And he believed and God accounted it to him for righteousness. King David was justified after the law. Two different people. Abraham before the law. King David after the law. Both of them were justified by faith. Look at verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God... What's he, there's that word again. God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then Paul quotes from Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. He takes the Jews back to their Old Testament Scriptures. Psalm 1, uh, 32, 1 and 2. And, and he quotes it to them. 
He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. King David, I believe, knew. He was convinced that his right standing before God was not based on his righteousness. He knew that. I mean, King David understood the joy of forgiveness, didn't he? Do you understand the joy of being forgiven? Think of your past. Uh, Maybe you don't want to. But think of your past right now. And then think of the joy of forgiveness that you have. David, in Psalm 32, lifting up praises, oh, happy is the one who knows that God has, has not imputed sin again. David, the adulterer, the one who assisted in the murder of, uh, of Moriah. What is it? Uriah. Uriah. Thank you, honey. Uriah. Uriah, I've been mixing up. But here's a man that knew that forgiveness. King David lived a thousand years before Jesus Christ. And here he is saying, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. How do you think that comes from David's heart? That If you read Psalm 32, the whole psalm, that's David after his sin with Bathsheba, after the murder of Uriah. That's David rejoicing in the forgiveness that he has in the Lord. Incredible. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. See, David knew I should be toast. I I deserve it. Look what I've done. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote this, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God of God in Him. He did it for us. That's something that we should rejoice in this morning. Abraham was justified by faith before circumcision. Did you know that? Verse 9 says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? meaning the Jew and Gentile. The circumcised, meaning the Jew, the Gentile was the uncircumcised. Does this blessedness speaking about the justification by faith, does it come upon the circumcised? In other words, we're God's chosen people. We're Jews. We're of His heritage. Or does it come upon the uncircumcised also? Paul is giving one of those rhetorical questions to make them think in their mind and then comes back and answers that question. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? Asking a question. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That means 
that before that covenant of circumcision was ever given to Abraham, that Abraham was already made right in the eyes of God by faith alone in his promise that he had given to him. Apart from that, to the Jew, he had to wrap his head around this. What are you saying to me? Everything they believed in was the Levitical law, the circumcision that a man had. That was what even transferred into the New Testament. That you must be circumcised to even be saved. Paul is saying that not only is faith alone the means and ways of a man getting right with God, but it applied to the Jew and it also applies to the Gentile also. The uncircumcised. It says in verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, speaking about the Jews, but, all, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. In Genesis 12, that's when the promise came to Abraham. In Genesis 15, verse 6, that's when God made the covenant that he made with Abraham. It's the verse that we're reading here in Romans that Paul is quoting. Abraham believed in the Lord. When the promise was given, Abraham was 75 years old. When the covenant was given, he was 86 years old. By the time that Isaac was born, he was 99 years old. There's a period of time here that's going on. The covenant is being made. The promised child is being birthed. But Abraham was made righteous in the eyes of God by faith before the covenant. Before the promised child. Before he went to Mount Moriah and put him up on that altar where his faith was tested. He was already made righteous in the eyes of God. Do you know why? Because it will never be able to be said that Abraham, it was his works that did it. Or anybody else in this world that wants to say it's their faith plus works. He's showing us that he was justified before any of those things ever happened. As a matter of fact, let me take it a step further. Before when God called Abraham out of the Chaldeans, out of that area... He actually was a Gentile at that point. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. God, based on that promise, made him right. It's apart from works. It's apart from anything that Abraham could have done for God. But all what he did for him. He uses these two examples. Abraham and David, King David, to be those two patriarchs in the Jews' mind, if he could make a case with these two men, it, it, it sets the case for what he's saying here. We are justified by faith alone. Circumcision is worthless without true faith. Water baptism is worthless apart from faith in Jesus Christ first. 
Water baptism does not bring cleansing of your sin. It doesn't wash away your sin. Peter tells us that. Water baptism doesn't make you right before God. Justification will never come by a person's works. I'll close with these words, and I close with them because if there's someone here today that after everything I shared about how a person comes into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't done that, that way, if you're not 100% convinced that you have real faith, true faith, that it's in faith alone in Jesus Christ, then you need to listen to these words. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and prompts your heart that you know what, you need to be made righteous by faith alone, that you've been trying your whole life to be this good person, trying to do it your own way, trying to work out yourself, then you need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ this morning. It's the biggest question that every human being will ever ask. How do I get right with God? Paul says in Romans chapter 10, I've already read it, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you'll believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. Everyone. All. I don't think that I could bring out the hope of salvation, the forgiveness of sins to be justified in the right eyes of God any clearer way than what Paul brought out here in the fourth chapter of Romans. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.